This is the Atlanta Foodcast. Stories from those making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm Ben Getz, your host. Urban agriculture. This might sound like a bit of an oddity to some, but with over 80% of Americans living in metro areas, we're now more dependent on others producing almost all of the food that we consume. Thus, welcome Rashid Nuri to the show. His work has been paramount to Atlanta throughout his entire career and his entire life, and he's been committed to developing knowledge, resource, and love around seed to table, how food is grown, nurtured, and made possible in the earth around us regardless of living in or around the city and he founded truly living well back in 2006 to develop a conduit for connecting communities and culture throughout training and education and nutrition and now he works as an advisor and an elder for the organization and Rashid and I caught up so I could hear his story ahead of the Georgia Organics Conference which is happening in Athens February 7th through 8th where he is the keynote speaker here's our conversation Live long enough and you'll know. Yep. <laughs> oh, man, that's wonderful, though. Um, well, let's go ahead and get started, Rashid. Um, you know, the, the, there's a lot that I want to hear from you about. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, specifically in, in the realm of, of, of food ways and, you know, I think the, the good food movement as it was and especially, you know, how, how things are grown, um, you know, out of the earth and as people, you know, they end up on people's plates, whether it's in a restaurant or, you know, connecting people with, you know, a, a farmer directly, um, which I'm really excited to chat with you about in, in a lot of different aspects of your life. But um, tell me who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? <laughs> God rest his soul. My mother did the cooking. Um, she was not a gourmand, um, but she made sure we always had food. Mm-hmm. one way or another so that that wasn't gourmet meals was not my connection to food but it was my mother who did most of all of the cooking mm. what kind of eater were you growing up hmm. well we were poor folks man so you know it was uh peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to go to school in my school lunch uh, occasionally i get lucky and get some tuna fish or if they had a meatloaf on Sunday, I might get a meatloaf sandwich on Monday. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, at, coming up in the 50s and the 60s, I ate what everybody else did, was, which was in a lot of ways better than what has been offered today. I mean, McDonald's was a new thing. Uh-huh. Uh, who else? Uh, um, the root beer of A&W. Oh, they had yeah. a drive-in that, you know, we as a place to hang out. Uh, but there, was, there wasn't a lot of fast food at that time. The fast food business was new, so to be able to get a, a McDonald's burger was, 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 uh, was exciting, because it just didn't happen every day. You know, I, uh, I don't know that I've ever met a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a tuna fish sandwich that I haven't truly looked forward to and enjoyed, <laughs> especially as I've, as I've had my kids. I'm like, you know what? Peanut butter and jelly actually sounds phenomenal. It's like the best thing I've eaten all day. <laughs> my grandmother used to give us a treat, my great-grandmother, that in hindsight was just boring. It was just absolutely nasty. But it was peanut butter uh, with marshmallow fluff. 
Yes. Yep. You, you uh, know what I'm talking about? I, I do. I remember the, the oddly fluted, like tapered shaped jar that it came in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had the most, um, you know, today would be the most unpalatable texture. I have no, I'm, I'm sure that my kids would go absolutely bonkers for it. But if I were to eat it now, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd be able to stomach it. But, um, but I remember liking it as a kid too. You know, I, I remember really enjoying it. That really was something. It was a treat for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So my food interests and tastes have certainly evolved from yeah. way back then. Yeah. And where was home for you, Rashid? Oh, I've been on the road all my life. I, I went to, I was born in Boston mm-hmm. and I went to 14 schools before I graduated high school in San Diego. Wow. And, uh, then I continued to have San Diego, came back East College, and I've been traveling all my life, all my life. What's ironic for me here at this stage, um, Atlanta's the longest I've ever lived in one city, and this house is the longest I've ever lived in one house. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's, that's an amazing journey. I'd love to read about those years of your life one day. Well, it's called Growing Out Loud. I was going to say, there's a nice plug for your book. <laughs> yeah, Journey of a Food Revolutionary that you can yeah. get from me or uh, Amazon. And uh, I will have it at the Georgia Organic Conference. Perfect. Um, well, two two other, you know, quick questions for you, Rashid. Tell me, like, what what's your first food memory, like true food memory that has some sort of weight or gravity in the way that it it changed something in you um, or, you know, just really stands out. Like what's that first memory that you can think of? In the spring of 1965, I ran for student body president. And I had a 10 point platform that I campaigned on. Um, And I guess what's unique about that process is usually those kind of campaigns, it's usually just uh, popularity contest. But I actually had a, I had to say, these are the things that I wanted to accomplish. And one of those things was to, re- to add fresh fruit and fruit juice machines to sit next to the soda and candy vend- vending machines on campus. And uh, as I go back and trace my history, that's the, earliest direct connection I can make. Hmm. That's, that's great though. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a major, that's a major point and a major platform, you know, especially, you know, from, uh, from the perspective of student body, you know, president, it's not just, uh, it's not something that's devoid of, of need. It's, it's really, you know, something that'll, that'll come yeah. back to. Uh, yeah. What's interesting about it is I, I had no, uh, it's only in hindsight I realized that was the earliest indication that that may be where I'm going. I, at that time, it wasn't a, I didn't have the obsession. Um, perhaps that was part of the seed that was planted that led me in that direction. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess spurring from that, you know, tell me about like how, I mean, get, you know, coming out of that and then going to going to college and then starting your career, like where where did your career, I guess, in you know, overarchingly in agriculture and in the food space or food ways, you know, where, where did your career start? And tell me about that. Like what, what was that moment or what was that hook? Like how, how, how did you get started there? 
Well, that's interesting. Um, there's a, a man, Brother Randy McFadden is the one who turned me on to food. I went to school twice and um, I started growing food and, uh, and Randy turned me on in my backyard in San Diego. Um, but then when I went back, when I finished college, I was writing a paper on theory and practice sitting in the library. Um, and my interest, my study was on the men and women who created the post-colonial world. I'm a child of the 60s. We were talking black power and, and nation building. And in order to build a nation, you have to be able to feed, clothe, and shelter your people. So I, I wanted to have a skill. I didn't know if I wanted to be a carpenter to build or a printer for magazines and books. And I was writing this paper on theory and practice, Tom and Bo comparing the work of Julius Nyerere in Tanzania and Jomo Kenyatta in Kenya, two very different systems of, of development. Nyerere's was African, so he called it African socialism, and Kenyatta was just pure capitalism. His finance minister was a man named Tom Mboya. And in a book I was reading by Mboya, he said, with all the technology available in the world today, there is no reason we could not chemically synthesize enough food to feed everybody. I said, wow, because uh, I knew it was all these chemicals that were killing people. And it was like a suit of clothes came out of the heavens. Actually, it was God speaking in my ear and said, learn everything about food from the seed to the table and to do it experientially. And that's how, and it was at that point that I knew that was my career. And that, that created a tremendous amount of freedom because I didn't have to figure out what I was going to do. Um, it was food and food production. Just learn everything about food from the seed to the table. Uh, and that has been the, 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 my career uh, for over 50 years now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to think back, you know, uh, or, or even, you know, just modern day, you know, the, I, was, I was having a conversation with someone, you know, who's, uh, who, who volunteers quite a bit, you know, from the food bank, you know, and here in Atlanta and also regionally. And one of the biggest quotes, you know, that, that he kind of repeated for me after hearing a talk was, you know, one of the largest atrocities that we can experience in modern day is knowing that someone has gone hungry for a day knowing that there's such an abundance of food and food waste and fighting it. And most of it was around the idea of food waste. And, you know, it's, um, that, that's such an interesting, <laughs> it's such an interesting thing to think about is, you know, with such modern technology that we could synthesize food to oh, feed everybody. Nobody goes to home. To a large extent, that is what's happening. This is why we have so much dis-ease. The combination of hybrid and GMO seed um, is, is making the food not only um, the human body has not evolved where it can metabolize the food we're being asked to consume. Uh -huh. um, and I, the clearest example I can give people is bread. How, how, let me just ask you, how long has man been eating, be, humankind been eating bread? Right. What would your answer be? I'd say since the beginning. <laughs> how come in the last 10 or 15 years, everything has to be gluten-free and that's become part of the market. All of a sudden you can't metabolize the very thing that man has been eating as far back as you can see. There's a problem. It's because the food itself, it's the bread. It's not, most folks don't even know what gluten is, never mind. <laughs> right. uh, 
eliminating them, but they, they feel their gluten feed. They have this, all these celiac diseases. They can't eat the food. Their bodies have not evolved to eat the hybrid wheat, hybrid grains that are being foisted upon the population. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, uh, you know, with this, with this being really like the crux of where your career started, you know, at what point did, did truly living well enter into, to your, to your world? Like where did that idea start? Oh, that, that idea started so long ago. Um, the very first professional work I did, uh, after I finished college in up in, in New England and came back to the, that, uh, California, I was working with the extension service. We, we put in community gardens. We had an urban farm that I worked with. I taught children in schools and put in gardens at the schools. Um, so it's the exact same thing that Truly Living Well was. But the, the, the key is that between that, you know, and I was always organic. People think I'm crazy now. You can imagine what they thought back in the early <laughs> 70s. Um, and um, so what, what's significant is all the places, the, 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 the um, miles that I've traveled between the beginning and end, it's gone full circle. I've traveled around the world looking at food economy, local food economies all over the world. And it's taken me back to what I was doing. Uh, growing food, growing people, and growing community. And uh, we've done that. I've been involved in that all over the world. Yeah. You know, and it's um, it's so interesting, you know, after, I mean, again, I, I haven't lived in Atlanta for, you know, ages, you know, but over the past, you know, six, seven, eight years, I've learned a lot more about the footprint of urban agriculture throughout the Atlanta metro area, and also even more so in the past couple of years, really throughout the state of Georgia, you know, talk to me briefly about that. Like, why, why is that such an important aspect? You know, especially as you mentioned, teaching the, the youth of, of our country, the importance of growing food, not just from the aspect of nutrition, but also this is where your food comes from. So, I mean, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, mankind, humankind used to live within walking distance of where their food was produced. That world does not exist anymore. Uh, in this country. Other parts of the world is still that way. Most of what's so-called less developed world, people live near their food, where it's produced. Food is at the same vibration as their longitude, latitude as they are, which creates the same vibration in the food as in their bodies. So it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's perfect. That's what you're supposed to eat. And uh, I just forgot your question. Give it to me again. <laughs> yeah, specifically around urban agriculture, you know, I mean, it's, um, it's astounding, you know, to, to have learned how many, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, well, I, I've, been, I've been involved in it from the beginning. When I first came to Atlanta, uh, we started growing in the backyard down at Riverdale, and my mantra consistently in every opportunity I had to speak was compost, compost, compost. And the largest farm that was around at that time wasn't even using compost. Many of these organic farms, there weren't that many at that time, they were not using compost, man. They were getting some kind of distillation of compost and putting it out in the, in the ground, trying to feed the plants instead of feeding the soil. Because, the, you know, and my model has always been nature. I'm gonna see how, how things grow. I wanna emulate nature as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And 
You're looking anywhere around. There's nobody doing soil tests on these, these hardwood forests. The trees grow. They, they make their leaves drop down and, and then breaks down into, uh, into uh, um, uh, a humus that feeds the tree. The cycle continues. They drop their seeds, it plants, and the trees grow quite well. And the closest we can get to that is, is compost. Mm -hmm. It's compost. So that, that the, if now that we have companies picking up material from people's homes, just seeing all the things, how it has evolved, then there were, there were few, if any, farmers markets at that time. You had trouble finding one, never mind the fact that today there's a farmer's market just about every day of the week somewhere in the metropolitan area. Right. So we've moved from being a um, local food movement. We this paradigm has shifted. So the thing I think people are coming to understand is big ag system is broken. It doesn't work. It's killing people, and it's local food. Local food production uh, is is the future. When you consider that eighty over eighty percent of Americans live in urban areas, no sense to continue shipping food from long distances. Hey, the average 1,500, 1,800 miles, depending on how you count, before the food gets to your table. And it makes no sense to do that when food can be produced locally. Uh, we need to get back to a post-industrial, a pre-industrial, excuse me, pre-industrial regenerative, regenerative agriculture. We got to go backwards in how we produce these food. Instead of having so few farmers, we need to increase the number of farmers. And that's where the education of the farmers come in. That's where Georgia Organics becomes so important in providing information, training, um, uh, and being that place where people can come together to establish collaborations and cooperations to, to promote the work that we have been doing for these so many years. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and speaking of, you know, the work of, of Georgia Organics, you know, I, um, there's, there's two things. I know that you've been very involved in the work, you know, of, of Georgia Organics and the, in the organization across the state of Georgia. And then also, um, I'm very much looking forward to hearing you speak at the conference here in, oh gosh, uh, about three and a half weeks or so. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, about what your, your message is at the conference. And I mean, I, I guess also speaking broadly about, you know, really echoing what you just said. I mean, like really the work of, of Georgia Organics and, you know, spreading the, the knowledge of, of farmer to restaurant, of farmer to family, of organic, you know, what, what, that, what that really means. Oh, yeah. You know, there, was no, there were very few restaurants that were, you know, this whole farm to table. <laughs> concept um, that I told you is what the message that God gave me seed to the table um, but what we're able to do um, what I'm going to talk about in this conference is a little bit of the history of how the food move how why America I mean pause America is the greatest food producing country in the history of the world and there were four things that happened uh, within 48 days, four laws that were established. First, and it was all during President Lincoln at the beginning of the Civil War, established the, uh, the, the Department of Agriculture and called it the People's House. That was the first subject matter department in the government. And what do I mean by subject matter? Today, you've got a Department of Energy, Housing, Transportation, uh, Health. These are all subject matters. 
and they got a Department of Government labor um, to, to address that. That didn't have, that didn't exist. Ag was the first. Um, you know, they had the Secretary of War, you know, did the um, Foreign Relations Secretary of State, um, the Attorney General, those were all existing, but he, he brought in these other Department of Agriculture. Then they promulgated the Homestead Act. This invited people from Europe to come over, almost singularly white people, to come to this country and grow food. Gave them land and the support to do so. Um, but having it come up to the Midwest, it also helped to, to move all the Native Americans uh, out. It was part of that problem, killing the buffalo and moving, those, and moving farmers in there. It was all part of the same process. Because uh, the Native Americans followed the Buffalo Plains Indians followed the Buffalo. They were wiped out uh, for that very purpose. Then you had the Land Grant College Act. Um, land was given to each state to have a, to support agricultural production. This is why every state has a land grant college. Big Ag does no research whatsoever. None. They don't do any research because it's paid for by the taxpayers through the university. Uh, so, you know, how the technology to get a chicken, when I started in this business, it took 12, maybe 14 weeks to grow a broiler. Now they got it down to six weeks. Where'd that technology come from? It comes from the university that taxpayers supported. Uh, then finally, you had the Railroad Act. I, have, I think there is a steel mill in Minnesota, uh, in Minneapolis, more of a recycling facility. It used to be. Mm -hmm. um, but throughout the rest of the Midwest, you don't see those steel factories. So where did all that equipment come from that they used to do the farming that came back from back east through the Railroad Act, which was also uh, enacted at that time. So these four bills made it possible to create an infrastructure around agriculture and the promotion of agriculture. I think the same thing needs to be done for small farms and urban agriculture. As I said, 80% of the people are urban. Let's grow the food. And Georgia is uniquely situated. This is the Greek Atlanta is the greenest city in America by virtue of trees and open space. We got more than enough land to grow all the fruits and vegetables that are necessary to uh, uh, not, not meat and grain, just fruits and vegetables to feed everybody. But what's necessary, what's required is the sufficient civic support to create that infrastructure. Now you have bits and pieces here and there uh, things that are happening, but you don't have an overall systematic program to make that happen. And that's what I would like to promote and see and see um, being done. That's wonderful. Yeah, I love, um, I love the, I mean, it's very beautiful, you know, and I've had so many wonderful conversations with people here in Atlanta, you know, in the restaurant space or the greater, you know, food space, farmers, growers, producers, you know, that the, um, how verdant, the state of Georgia is, is truly staggering, you know, and it's been even more staggering for me to learn really the, um, the implications of how you actually feed people and where your food comes from. And, you know, working with, you know, the, the big agriculture or to the, you know, local farm and, you know, in, in terms of, you know, if you have arugula on your menu, where does that come from? Is it more about the, you know, the mentality of I can get it when I want it, or is it more about how this is the sustainable practice of how food will continue to feed people in the best way that their, their body needs um, is a very, is a very big movement and has a lot of implications into being a business owner. And it's been, 
um, it's been very revealing, you know, and I, I think that you mentioned, you know, the kind of laughable marketing term of farm to table um, is uh, there, there's a lot of practical element to that in the way that people are fed. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, we're very lucky to be in such a, um, such an amazing state and especially the work of, you know, like of, of you, of an organization like Truly Living Well or Georgia Organics or the people who are really working to, um, to really change that is, um, yeah, I think that we're, we're riding a wave right now where it's going to be further, you know, can, it, it's going to be further considered about the education of where your food comes from and especially who's growing it. Yes, sir. I mean, it's, it's, and it's, it's been wonderful for me to sit in my seat and just watch the proliferation of these concepts and the practice. And, you know, it, and one of the things that I've learned in my, well, this is my 72nd year, isn't it? Um, it's amazing how much you can get done if you're not concerned with who gets the credit. Right. And I've always described my, my work as dropping a pebble in a pond. And those who are around the impact area, they know. Um, but as those waves get out to, to, the, to the shore, people don't know what was the origin of the ripples. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, that feels good. I know that I've been able to make a contribution. People are telling me that I've made a contribution, and that is rewarding. Right. Yeah. Well, Rashid, I think the, the work that you've done, I mean, goodness, over the past how many years, did you say? I mean, I know it's- well, Yeah, To Live Well was conceived in 05 and implemented in 06. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, it's not that long a time, but, but uh, for my seat, it's, it's been over 50 years that I've been working in this direction. Yeah. And trying to get this knowledge. So to be able to be here now is, is, is uh, I'm grateful. God has been good to me. Yeah. Kind of looking at this as, as um, you know, again, like that continuation of work, you know, from so many different aspects of, of the food world is, um, is really, is really important, you know, not just in, in the way of, of making something um, seem like it's uh, an incendiary topic right now and it's not going to be once the news cycle dies down. You know, it's, um, it's, an, important, it's an important thing to, to think of how are we feeding ourselves now and if it's harmful, how do we change that? But how do we change that for a future that's going to be, you know, hopefully better for my kids and well beyond that. And um, Yeah, it's uh, your children that, that are the future. Yeah. Well, actually, let me go back. Your children would be my great grandchildren. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's really important. I think it's important for us to to work to build the future that we want to see for our progeny. Um, mm -hmm. It's our shoulders that they stand on, and we need to make sure that we leave the world a better place for them than we even find it for ourselves. That is the challenge. Yes, sir. Well, Rashid, again, I'm I'm very much looking forward to um to I'd I'd love to shake your hand in person, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to hearing you speak um at the at the conference, which is um this this actually this episode's going to be live uh, here on the 27th of um or sorry the 3rd of February rather so just before the conference, but um but yeah I mean I'm I'm really looking forward to um to hearing more from you, and I mean again it's just, it's such an honor to to chat with you and, and hear um, so much of your story and just, you know, hear so much of the, of the work that you, that you've done over the past 50 plus years. So. Well, thank you, sir. That. 
Yeah. And and if, you bring that, if you come into the conference, bring the book. I'll sign it for you. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be, that'd be wonderful. I'm looking forward to that very much. Well, Rashid, thanks again, man. Thanks, um, thanks again for being on the podcast. And um, well, thank, yeah. thank you for all you do. This is the tremendous service that you are providing for the community. You, the, your podcast, what do you call it? Atlanta podcast? The Atlanta uh, Foodcast. Atlanta Foodcast, yes, sir. Yeah. And there, if you get an email from me, at the bottom is a quote from George Washington Carver that has become my personal mantra, which is, it is simply service that measures success. And uh, you are providing a service to the community, so I salute you for your work, sir. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Rashid. Again, such an honor to chat with you. And um, yeah, I'll see you at the conference here in just a few weeks. All right, sir. Peace be unto you. Thanks, Rashid. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about Rashid and Truly Living Well, you can go to trulylivingwell.com. And also, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the Georgia Organics Conference, you can go to conference.georgiaorganics.org. Thanks for listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. If you haven't already, hit subscribe and please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram. And as always, thanks for making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters.